morning in our series on uncommon unity, and I want to for us to share again. Um, if we could read this together again, these are some of the words that we put together as uh, church leadership a few years ago about what we mean by uncommon unity. So would you read this with me? We are a diverse community brought together by our shared experience of the love of Jesus, our King. By expressing our spiritual gifts and by welcoming each person as a unique bearer of God's image. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray that this word spoken today to live more faithfully, to live more truly to this calling, uh, to be a church of uncommon unity. Lord, I pray that wherever we need to be, be encouraged and to have eyes to see the way that uh, this trait of our church is being left, uh, lived out. God, I pray that you would help us to see that. Lord, I pray that in any area where we need to be convicted or challenged in ways that we need to take deeper steps or to walk in, in repentance, God, that you would show us that as well. So we ask these things in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit that you give us. Amen. When Jesus walked the earth in the flesh, uh, there were disciples that followed him. We know that most of the time there were at least 12 of them, but other times there were maybe as many as 70 or more that were following him around. And they, they had an opportunity to observe Jesus live his life. They, they watched him when he woke up in the morning. Don't know if Jesus was a morning person or not. They saw him live throughout his day interacting with people. They saw him do miracles. They saw him teach. And they also watched him pray. They knew that there were some nights where Jesus would go away on his own and spend all evening in prayer. And so one day they came to him and they asked him a question. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. We see that you have this intimate relationship with God. You talk to him and you interact with him. You have told us, in fact, that you never do anything that you don't hear your father tell you to do. You have this relationship with God. So, Lord, teach us to pray. We see you interacting with God in this intimate way. We see you talking with God and responding to him in a way that we've never seen anyone interact with God before. And we want to be able to do the same thing. We want to be able to talk to God like you talk to God. And Jesus said, okay, I'll teach you to pray. And when you pray, let me give you this example. When you talk to God, talk to him like this. Our Father. Our Father. I think we've become so used to calling God Father that we forget how incredible and amazing that is and how radical a thing this is for Jesus to invite his followers, to invite us to come to him and address him as our Father. Calling God Father was not completely unheard of in the Old Testament, but it was definitely not the primary way that the people of Israel understood their relationship to, to God. But once Jesus comes on the scene, God as Father becomes the central way that his followers understand their own relationship with God. When I come to God, I come to him as a Father. And then there is this one word in the address of this prayer, are. 
Jesus did not say, did not instruct his disciples to address God first as my father, but as our father. In your personal prayer time, if you address God as as my father, there's nothing wrong with that. But in Jesus's example of prayer, he says that we address God as our father as a reminder to us that when we pray, we join with others who also know God as father. It reminds us that God, our Father, has children, and that means that you and I have siblings, brothers and sisters who also know God as Father. And that's what this sermon is about today. Here at Broadway Christian Church, we're a church that is pursuing, living faithfully to this calling to be a church of uncommon unity. And one important step in understanding our identity as that kind of church is knowing that God is Father, that I am His child, and that other people around me that worship with me are also His children, which makes me a brother, makes you a brother, makes you a sister. You, my brothers and my sisters. So let's begin by talking about this calling to worship God as Father. The uncommon unity that we practice and share here at Broadway is a unity that's grounded in God's own divine nature. Let me say that again. The uncommon unity that we seek to practice here at Broadway is rooted in, is grounded in God's own divine nature. Our scripture from this morning from 1 John begins, Dear friends, let us love one another... For love comes from God. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Our uncommon unity is rooted in love, and that love comes from God who is love. God, for all eternity, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God did not become a father when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He always has been a father. The Son did not become a son of the Father when he was born in Bethlehem. He has always been the Son, and they have always enjoyed this relationship of God the Father and God the Son loving one another in the Spirit. Within the divine nature of God is this love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Within the eternal being of God, there is love. And that's why the Bible tells us that God is love. That God is not simply loving. He doesn't just do things lovingly. The Bible says that God is love. In the divine nature is love. At the very center of the universe is perfect love. No conflict, no division, no anger, no competition, no animosity. At the center of the universe is love. Father, Son, loving one another in the Spirit. God is Father and has always been Father to the Son. When we talk about God as Father, we're not talking about an illustration or an analogy about how we understand God. Saying that God is Father is not just a figure of speech. It is who God is in His very nature. When the Scriptures teach us to understand God as Father, the Scriptures are not telling us that we should imagine the pattern of a good earthly father and then apply that to God. Once you've imagined the pattern of a real good earthly father, then we can better understand what God is like. What the scriptures tell us is that God is the original father, that God is the pattern. 
He is the Father and has been Father from all eternity. And so in making us his children, God simply becomes what God al- who God already is, but he becomes that for us. When we're invited to call God Father, God is becoming who he already is, but he's doing that for us. God has always been Father to the Son. And when we are joined together with the Son in baptism, we become also sons and daughters of the Father who has always been Father to the Son. So turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. I want to talk today about this love that comes from the very nature of who God is. 1 John is this letter that is centered on this idea that God is love and that he loves us. And because he loves us, we love one another. This is a repeated phrase throughout John's letter. We heard Ruth read it a few minutes ago, this, uh, the book of 1 John, and we're mostly in chapter 3 and 4. In 1 John chapter 3, John writes this, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Would you read this with me? How great is the love that God has lavished on us, that we can be called children of God, and that is what we are. I want to begin this morning by asking you, do you know that you are a beloved child of God? What does that mean to you? How does that change your understanding about yourself? Does it have an impact on the way that you live your life to understand that you are beloved of God? In our relationship with God, he he makes us his children, and we're privileged to be in this relationship with the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things in his hand, the one who knows you better than you know yourself, and who loves you perfectly. I just want to pause for a moment and acknowledge that for each one of us, there are barriers to seeing ourselves in this way. All of us struggle to receive this truth about ourselves that we are a son or a daughter of God. Some of us are, are insecure in our faith and we, we wonder whether or not God has really accepted us. We, we carry shame in our life because of the things that we have done, maybe because of the things that somebody has done to us, maybe because of things that people have said to us. We carry this shame in our life that makes us feel as if we would never be worthy of God the Father saying, I love you, you're my son. I love you, you're my daughter. Is that you today? Do you have a difficult time receiving this identity as a child of God because of shame? Or maybe for some of you, you just have intellectual questions about about all of this. I believe in God. I believe he's the creator. But father that could know me and love me, I just don't get it. Others of you may have a family history that makes this difficult. You did not have a good earthly father who followed the pattern of the father in his relationship with you. And so it's difficult for you today to hear that you're a child of God and to make any sense of that. Or maybe today you just feel disappointed with God. If God is father, why would he allow this to happen to me? Why would he have allowed that thing to happen to me? 
If he's a good father, why wouldn't he have protected me from that? There are lots of different barriers to you and I, and each one of us carry these wounds in our own life that keep us from receiving this identity as child of God. And so I just want to acknowledge that truth, that it's hard for each one of us in one way or another to receive that. But I also want to declare this truth to you today, even though it's maybe hard for you to receive. You are loved by the Father. The one who created all things and who knows all things, the one who knows your heart better than you know it, the one who knows your failures and your doubts, who knows your disappointments and your frustrations and maybe even your anger toward him, that one says to you, I am your father and I love you. And there is nothing that you can do today or not do today that will make make me love you any more or any less than I already do. And I invite you today to enjoy this relationship with me as son or daughter in the same way that Jesus enjoyed this relationship with me as my son. Jesus instructed us to pray our father. He related to God as father. And we see this at every single point in his life in his ministry, in his teaching, as well as in the very darkest and most difficult moment of his life, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's on his knees, sweating blood with anguish about what he knows he is about to go through in the next day. As he's on his knees, crying out to God, he says, Abba, Father. This intimate phrase, Abba, this close word that... Aramaic boys and girls would say of their fathers, Abba. And Jesus tells us that when we should pray, we should also pray in the same way, our our Father. He is inviting us to share in this same kind of relationship that he has with the Father. In your own times of anguish and distress and depression, when you're up against the wall, when you have nowhere else to turn, when you're rejected by other people, when you have failed one more time, In all of those moments, you are a child of your Abba Father, who has always been a father, who is the original father, who's really good at being a father. In this relationship with your Heavenly Father, it's so prevalent throughout the New Testament that the message of the whole New Testament, the message of the gospel is almost unrecognizable without this core piece of understanding our identity as children of God. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we can be called children of God, and that is what we are. If you believe that morning, this morning, say amen. Let's talk about the hour of the Our Father. Since we are children of God, our Father then binds us together with everyone else who calls God Abba. It redefines our relationship with everyone else in this room. Everything about what I just said about who you are in the eyes of God is also true about the person next to you, about the person across the room from you. It's the same. And so John tells us in 1 John 4, 1, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
And then later down in verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son into the world to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because God loved us, we love. Love comes from God. We have received this love from the Father through the life and death of Jesus, and because of what he has done for us and for them, we then love. Our love for one another in the church, it's not a response of something good in the other person. It's, it's not a response of, I really like that person, I like their personality, we've got the same interests, or maybe I think they can do something for me, or whatever. In the church, we don't love others because of something that they have done, but because of what he has done already for them, and for me. Our love for the other person exists because of God's love for the other person. In the church, we love one another because we believe that that other person is a person for whom Christ died. And if God loves that person, if that person is one for whom Christ died, then my calling is to love them as Christ loved them. The love of Christ is the source of our love for our brothers and sisters. There is a certain kind of love that exists in the world between people who do have the same interests and who are in the same stage of life and who just click with one another. And that's a good thing. Those sorts of relationships and friendships are are precious to me. They're, They're precious to us. There will be people in the church who you find um, that you have that sort of initial affection for that initial kind of friendship or connection with others. And in the life of the church is going to be people who you don't click with, or you just plain old don't really like very much rub you the wrong way or people who are just on a, in a different stage of life than you and come from a different background than you that you just don't understand and it's in those kinds of relationships where there's this diversity where there is this difference that's where God's love really begins to shine through that's where we find out that it's God's love in us that is causing us to love this other person who I may not like very much, or I may not initially connect with. And these are relationships that could not exist if it wasn't for God. That's what I've said about our church. I want our church to be the kind of diverse community that certainly, that just could not hold together, that could not be if it wasn't for God and for his love. Almost everyone in the world loves people who are like them, who shares their interests. That's not unique What is unique in the church is that because we come together with a shared love for the Father and a shared experience of being loved by the Father, we are then bound together by that shared love. I just want you to think today, where else in the world do we see a kind of community like the church? And I just want to say there's not very many places like this, where people from all different ages and backgrounds, diverse opinions on all sorts of matters, who come together on a Sunday morning and do all of the strange things that we do on Sunday morning, of singing together the same songs and sitting and listening to guy proclaim a word for 30 minutes and 
Then we go and we fellowship with one another and we sit in our homes and study the scriptures together and care for one another. This is a unique community that really doesn't exist in many other places in the world. One of the closest things I could come up with is is a sports team. This morning there are going to be dozens of football stadiums throughout our country that are filled with 50, 60, 70,000 fans who are all there because they have a shared love for their team. But their team doesn't love them. I might love the Colts, but the Colts don't love me. Josh, you love the Packers, but the Packers don't love you. But because all of us have a shared love of the Father, and that Father also loves you and loves the other person next to you, that attaches us in an important way. We have a shared love of a Father who loves us. And so we don't put together meal trains for our fellow Colts fans who are sick in the hospital. Like That would be... I mean, maybe it happens somewhere, but I just can't imagine. Like, I got to get this casserole together because my friend, Colt's friend, Johnny down the street is sick. That's just not that kind of connection between that sort of community. In the church, we have a shared love. The shared love is the father who loves us and who gave each one of us his son. And that shared love that you and I have for the Father actually creates an attachment between me and you, the attachment between brother and sister. We love one another in the church, not because of what that person next to you can do for you or because of some shared interest, but because of a shared love that we have for the Father and the shared experience of his love for us. And that binds us together. In his letter, John says one other thing about our love for one another that I think is really a beautiful thing. Last week, we talked about how the church's unity becomes a testimony to the spiritual powers of the world about God's plan for the world. Do you remember that? That when the church comes together in unity, in the midst of our diversities, that the angels and the demons get a glimpse of the wisdom of God and his plans and purposes for the world. Our unity is a testimony to the angels and demons of what God is doing in the world. Well, John shares a similar idea in verse 12 of chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. He says this, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is, my translation says, made complete in us. I think the one that Ruth said earlier is, finds its perfection in us. No one has ever seen God. God is spirit. He is invisible. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love becomes visible, becomes complete, becomes manifest in our life. The world begins to see the love of God when we love one another in the ways that I just described today. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, that's no longer the case. People begin to see God when we love each other. Jesus said a similar thing. The world will know that you're my followers if what? If you love one another. 
in the church, we're called to make God, who is love, visible to the world by loving one another. Broadway, I want you to know that this is part of our calling here as the church to make God's love visible. For the love of God to be manifest, to be completed, to be perfected in the way that we love each other. And this calling to uncommon unity is a wonderful gift that we get to experience in our own life. It's also a real disappointment when we expect to experience it in the church, but the church falls short of doing that. But when we do experience it, when we do experience this love that comes from our shared experience of the love of the Father, it's a beautiful and it's a wonderful thing, and it causes great joy and benefit to us in our lives. But there is also this outward movement of the love of God to the world when we love each other, that the world begins to see who God is and to begin to understand his love. Dear friends, love one another, for love comes from God. Would you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer together? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory of God.